0: Welcome to International Tax Bites, a series of conversations around issues and concepts in international taxation. I'm Graham Jackson, and I'm a Gibraltar and English solicitor with Hassan's international law firm in Gibraltar. Today, I will be speaking to my podcast partner, Harriet Brown, who is a Jersey advocate and English barrister with Old Square Tax Chambers in London. So, Harriet, here we are for episode two of series five.
1: Uh, We are, and we are unaccompanied and having to rely on ourselves for a change.
0: We're going back to our roots to actually discuss a topic of um, relevance to real people out there um, rather than the broader concepts. We're going to talk today, are we not, about the transfer of assets abroad regime in the United Kingdom. That's right. And just for um, reference, as from what I understand of it, And I have quickly looked through the Irish version. They are very similar, but you should not rely on what we say in Ireland. But it might be a pointer of at least where to look.
1: Yes, I think I agree. It's not unfair to say that the regimes have some striking similarities, but neither of us are qualified to say whether or not to say with any certainty what the Irish provisions say, if I can put it that way. We're yeah. not Irish lawyers, as well. We can
0: Google like anybody.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, we're good Googlers. I, I say we're
0: advanced Googlers, but that's exactly. just exactly. Um, <laughs> though obviously not as part of our advice. So, um, transfer <laughs> of assets, a broad <laughs> regime.
1: Sorry, we, we don't. <laughs> if I say we don't rely on Google for our advice, it's going to make it sound like we really do, but we really
0: don't. Right. So that's the entire world has just lost faith in us. Thank you very much, Harriet.
1: Um, no problem. But let's talk
0: about the transfer <laughs> of assets abroad of regime, because we both know about this as we're both qualified in England. Um, I studied it as part of the ADIT, the Advanced Diploma in International Taxation, and I know that this is a live topic for those people studying it and also for the CTA exams um, from the Chartered Institute. So... Let's have a think about what this regime is. How long has it been there, Harriet?
1: It has been around for a very long time. Um, I think since the 30s, the 1930s.
0: Yeah, so what? what my research showed me that it, the, it's been there for well over 80 years. So um, it's a solid piece of legislation with lots of case law around it, uh, lots of things to be talked about. And um, it is a very powerful tool in the hands of HMRC, and would you say it is the main weapon they use against people just simply dumping assets into low tax jurisdictions?
1: So, well, look. First of all, I would not use such a bellicose word as weapon, but that's fine. Just... You wouldn't
0: say dumping either, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably not. I'd use I'd use much more elegant language, but now you
0: because you're much more elegant than I am.
1: Well, you know,
0: someone's got to be grown. Yeah. Uh,
1: so yes, it, so essentially. transfer of assets abroad is really interesting and it's one of the pieces of tax legislation where I think the history is interesting because um it was brought in in the finance act 1936 section 18 I was right it was the 30s I've done a little bit of quick it wasn't googling it was a little bit of quick research there and um what it it was actually aimed at a specific type of scheme so it was very much a targeted anti-avoidance rule however it is, it's actually been described in case law as being broad spectrum. And I think, was that Howard DeWalden? No, it was IRCV bracket, uh, which is, is, is one of the earlier cases. It was described as a broad spectrum anti avoidance provision, which should not be narrowly or technically construed. So it, it is a really broad piece of legislation. So while it was initially brought in to be directed at one particular way of doing things, which we won't go into, it covers an awful lot of other things so while it is a targeted anti-avoidance rule as opposed to a general anti-avoidance rule it is very it is very wide and it catches an awful lot
0: of targeted a lot of things
1: uh yes i'd say it's a general targeted rule
0: yes so (laughs) let's just let's just delineate then the difference between a between a gar and a targeted rule a gar will say something like, uh, wherever we think something is artificial, we'll be able to ignore it.
1: Exactly. So it's it's incredibly broad and it gives incredibly broad powers of what you do next as well. Whereas a
0: specific rule will say, a targeted rule, my apologies, a targeted rule will say, if you do X, you will pay tax as if you had not done X
1: uh yes that's that's a reason that's a reasonable if somewhat brutal summary of the distinction
0: brutal is what we want they've <laughs> they've only got 45 minutes to answer the question
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs>
0: uh, no 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 but it's it's important that we get it clear and short rather than get caught up in the uh in the caveats because what we are doing is 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 providing a summary aren't we and i'm exactly. sure you'll, you'll explain to us why i was um limited in my description so, what does it act? What does the transfer of Ass- assets abroad regime actually say as its basic principle? It's contained, isn't it, in sections seven one four to seven five one of the Income Tax Act two thousand and seven?
1: It about? certainly starts at seven one four. That's definitely right. I'm not, and I, I take your word for it that it goes to seven five one. Did you say?
0: Yeah, so yeah. That's that's what my research told me today, um, <laughs> and. What's the basic principle that underlies this this uh, this provision?
1: So I think the first important thing to note about the transfer of assets abroad regime is it doesn't tax transfer of assets abroad. Right. <laughs> it, it taxes income, which arises to a person abroad following a transfer of assets abroad, effectively. Uh, and so in some ways, it is maybe helpful to look at the scheme it was originally targeting. And what that did was... It, there were several forms, but most basically, it, there was a transfer of assets where you um, for a consideration paid in debentures to a foreign company. Um, and in that foreign company, all but a nominal proportion of the share capital was held by the transferor. So you effectively transferred all of your wealth, for, for example, to a foreign company. You held most of the shares. Um, However, it was controlled abroad, so it wasn't taxable in the UK. Yeah, um, Those assets that are transferred to the foreign co are exchanged into investments, the income of which is not liable to UK tax. Um, and then the income of the investments provided cash from which the debentures could be redeemed so that the transferor could use the money.
0: Right, and that's you basically it was, you put it into an offshore vehicle, and the debenture acted as a method to to get the money out. Extraction,
1: yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah.
0: Okay, so, so
1: yeah, so you can see why it was sort of phrased in that way. There are some other important things. So,
0: just can we just pause there for a minute because the method of the method of extraction is actually irrelevant here, isn't it? It's yes, the dumping the putting, not dumping the putting of the um, the. Previously, UK located assets and UK taxable assets into the uh, non-UK vehicle, which then makes them magically not taxable in the in the other country, and then relying on the tax residents of that vehicle to not be taxable in the UK anymore.
1: Uh, yes, broad. Yes, broadly. Summarised, Graham. I'm just yes. going to let's be positive. Growth mindset here. <laughs>
0: yeah people are going to know we haven't done this for a while right okay so um what we need so that's essentially just stopping people setting up trusts or sorry it's designed to target people who set up trusts set up companies that open bank accounts all that very old-fashioned type structuring that people used to do
1: exactly and by used to do i think we're talking 40 50 60 years ago as opposed to 10
0: 15 years ago hop on a plane to an crown dependency or overseas territory settle a trust go back say it's not mine anymore and then receive benefit from it yes yeah okay so i mean so that's obviously something that the hmrc in the uk wanted to target because it's just simply too easy isn't it um to do exactly right um so what's the, how do we define then a transfer of asset abroad? I'm sure that breaks down into several little bits.
1: It, do you know what, Graham? You're right, it does. And it, the, the there are two, that say, that there are numerous relevant defined terms. But for these purposes, the two that we're focused on are the meaning of transfer and the meaning of relevant transfer, both of which are defined in section 716 of the Income Tax Act, so a transfer it is sort of inclusively defined and it, 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 what it says is that a transfer in, in this chapter includes the creation of rights. So you can't get round it by creating a new interest. Um, but the more important one is relevant transfer and a relevant transfer is what we would probably look at as the transfer abroad. And that is a transfer of assets as a result of which, um, which as a result of that transfer um, one or more associated operations, or the transfer and one or more associated operations, income becomes payable to a person abroad. And so to simplify what that means, it means if you make a transfer, and income becomes payable to this person abroad definition, then it's in it's caught for the purposes of this legislation. If you make a transfer and then make one or more associated operations, or the transfer and one or more associated operations cause income to arise to a person abroad, it's caught. So
0: let's just park um, associated operations for a minute. And let's think about a very simple example of that, of of the transfer would be, say, putting a million pounds into a bank account in the name of a company. Yes. Right. So is there any rule is there any sort of limitation on that? Because that's very simple. But let's say I pay the bill for uh, the incorporation bill for the company and someone else puts assets in. Do I have I then transferred an asset?
1: Um I think you may well have a transfer of assets and an associated operation.
0: Right. But it it catches other things than just the simple, the very simple putting of cash for the use of the of the company
1: it absolutely does and it mostly does that through this associated operation definition an associated operation is an operation in relation to a transfer of assets means an operation of any kind affected by any person in relation to the assets themselves Um, assets representing the originally transferred assets the income from the original asset or any assets representing them um, or any assets directly or indirectly representing accumulations of income arising from any asset, or, and it goes on like that. So it's sort of, uh, it's it's a bit a bit M. C. Escher, isn't it really?
0: <laughs> yes, say that with your teeth in. <laughs> um, so, so basically, there has to be a transfer or an associated operation, and that needs to then give rise to income in the hands of this foreign person, and that foreign person can be a company. An individual, a trust, even though we all know trusts are not persons. Um, does it cover things like foundations, partnerships, limited partnerships? Is it any vehicle entity, regardless of whether it's got legal personality or not? Is it one of those definitions? A person is a person including all things that aren't persons?
1: Um, well, so that isn't how that that isn't how it's defined. A person abroad is a person who is resident outside the UK. Or an individual who is domiciled outside the UK, um, and so, however, it will it will catch all of those things because ultimately, you are going to accept, a bit a bit like with um, with an um, exchange of information, you ultimately you're going to be looking through to a person. So, for example, a trust, yes, a trust isn't a person, but the trustee is going to be right. An okay. awful lot of foundations have legal personality, partnerships,
0: Our but Partners.
1: Yeah. And of course, English law looks through to the partners. So, yeah. Um, okay. It also takes into account the definition of section, the definition in section 475, um, uh, which are trustees of settlements outside of the UK. So it takes that into account as well.
0: Right. OK. So. The. Income arise. The income arises to the person outside the UK. Oh, sorry. One more question, um, which I may take out, but it's actually quite relevant to one, to, to to something. Um, if you are abroad and transfer assets into a company, say,
1: yes, and
0: then go back to the UK, you have. I mean, just on a plain English reading of what you've done, you've not transferred anything abroad. Is is the transfer of assets made... abroad regime then relevant when you get back into the UK?
1: Yes, because if you recall, the definition of relevant transfer um, told us that it is a transfer of assets, and as a result of the transfer, income becomes payable to a person abroad. So, right, okay. The 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 name, the sort of the calling the calling the whole section is transfer of assets abroad is quite misleading on the number of Yeah, levels. because you
0: don't need to transfer any assets abroad if you're abroad
1: yes and indeed since we've, once we've looked at the definition of transfer actually you don't even need to transfer anything <laughs> because you create rights that does it for you anyway so you could create rights abroad that cause income to arise to a third to a person abroad and um
0: t-o-a-a yeah. would catch you yeah so right so it's nice and simple right so we've got um, a transfer, or possibly not a transfer, to a person abroad who's actually possibly in the same country as you, but abroad means not in the UK. Yeah. Um, and then that then gives rise to income in the hands of that person, and it might also it might not be a person, it might be, it might be something that isn't a person, but that'll do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what then happens to who? Where does the charge go? Who who gets taxed?
1: the question that nobody wants to be asked there 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 is a number of different charges and this has got more complex since um the changes to the trust regime in what 2017 2018 in the UK um and yeah so this has got more complicated so but essentially there are three charges they are in section 721 and well the charge is 720 technically but it it's sort of described in 721 and that's um a charge on people with the power to enjoy the income there's then 728 or 727 uh, which is a charge tax on income treated as arising to certain persons and then there is 731 which is another charge tax on income treated as arising to certain persons so the the sort of the broadest of those is probably section 721 and this is a charge on set laws effectively right, But let's construe set law in a very broad sense there so trans- it's on the it's, it's a charge on the transfer or way the
0: person who it. moves the money or 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 creates the rights or or doesn't do a transfer, but it counts as a transfer him or her
1: the person who yeah the person who yeah the person who does the transfer in the section seven sixteen meaning of transfer. <laughs> right let's uh, yeah let's go with that and so what happens is the in, the, the income of the offshore entity is treated as arising to an individual if conditions a to c are met and so uh, the con- condition A is that the individual has power in the tax year to enjoy income of a person abroad as a result of a relevant transfer one or more associated operations or a relevant transfer and one or more associated operations uh, condition B is that the income of the person abroad would be chargeable to income tax if it were the individuals and received by them in the UK. And condition C is that the individual is UK resident for the tax year.
0: So it has to be all three.
1: Uh yeah, it is all three.
0: And that is A, that what was A again?
1: Um the individual has power in the tax year to enjoy income of a person abroad as a result of irrelevant transfer associated operations or relevant transfers and associated operations. They have the
0: power to receive the power to enjoy the income.
1: Power to enjoy, yes. And power to enjoy
0: rather than they do enjoy the income.
1: Exactly.
0: They don't don't have to have have it. It's a dry charge to use that horrible phrase. So
1: one 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 example or one good example would be a settler interested trust, where the settler is either merely a discretionary beneficiary or is even merely not an excluded beneficiary. For example, um, not an expressly and irrevocably excluded beneficiary. Um, in those circumstances, he has the power to enjoy. But power to enjoy is is broadly defined by reference to the enjoyment conditions. And that, that feels sort of like where we've got to, Graham. I don't know if you agree with me.
0: Yeah.
1: So the enjoyment conditions are in section 723. Uh, they are deathly dull. And this is another absolute triumph of modern drafting, because, you know, we've just had conditions A to C. Yeah. We then get enjoyment conditions A to D.
0: Nice. Nice.
1: <laughs> so condition A uh, is that the income is dealt with by any person as to be calculated at some time to inure for the benefit of the individual, whether in the form of income or not, so that you you can get some benefit of it at some point. And that would, I think, catch the example that I just gave. Right. Um. Condition B is that the receipt or accrual of the income operates to increase the value to the individual of any assets held by the individual or assets held for their benefit. C is that the individual receives or isn't entitled to receive at any time any benefit provided or to be provided out of the income or related money. And we're obviously going to get a definition of that later, um, which I'm not going to go into. Condition D is that the individual may become entitled to beneficial enjoyment of the income if one or more powers are exercised or successively exercised. So just to go back to my um, trust example, say you've got a non-excluded settler. They're not actually in the class of beneficiaries, but they're not excluded. If that settlement had a power to appoint new beneficiaries and a a power to grant a life interest, then that might well come within condition E. We then get to condition E, which is that the individual is able in any manner to control directly or indirectly the application of the income. So um, this then brings us to, for example, things like people with a majority shareholding or even the even the possibility of obtaining a majority shareholding by their own action, i.e., so somebody who has the power to acquire a majority right. shareholding.
0: Okay, so it it's it's very broad, then, isn't it? It's, it's broad, lots of lots of potential avoidance arrangements that we that we would write on the back of a fact packet in a in a fifteen minute <laughs> tax planning <laughs> tax planning um, session. But so let's go back to that charge, the charge on the transferor. Can you just remind me what is it about that section that makes it a charge on transferors and not on anybody that can receive benefit? the case law (laughs) okay so this is vesti right is this yeah
1: so look if you if you read so the transfer charges so usually refers to section 720 and section 727 um and then the the beneficiary charge or the charge on benefits is benefits is section 731 and so the these are if you read these sections by themselves there is nothing in there to tell you why that's how they are applied so um yeah that that is sort of that, that is the case so it is the case that that is why it is but um it, why that is is steeped in steeped in case law
0: um, so let's not go there but just to flag for everybody that it's vesty, why it is isn't it yeah um and I'm just going to ask you because I can't remember who Lord Vestey was, but he was. No, was he not? Um, um, who was the Jewhurst fella? There's a, there's a there's a big anti-avoidance case around the Jewhurst. Uh,
1: Vesti Brothers was the largest privately owned multinational company and the largest retailer of meat in the world in the 1980s. Jewhurst, aren't you? Yeah, but you can remember the 1980s. I was, I was, I was always- alive
0: in the 1980s for all of it.
1: Well, I, I was alive for some of the nineteen eighties, but a lot of it is, is is steeped in mystery for me because I was butter nipper.
0: So um just the Lord Vestie was um the Jewhurst magnate, um the now defunct nineteen eighties butchery chain, which had shops in every um in every high street when high streets still had butchers and not candle shops. Um so Right, so that we, it's just case law, and uh, we just follow the case law and say that that's what Section Seven Two One does. It talks about transferors.
1: Yeah, and it, it turns on the ultimate interpretation of the expression "such an individual" in the legislation, and and that that is what Vesti decided. Um, there's some interesting commentary from the very modern commentary from the Upper Tribunal. In a case called realis from 2020 on why on what what, what actually was decided invested it doesn't change the law but it, it takes it looks at why they came to that conclusion and is is sort of a nice update comes to the same place but is a nice I mean, so, update so so, so just
0: just looking at my copy of the yellow book the yeah so that makes sense it's it, it, the income is treated as a rising to such an individual as is mentioned in section 721. 721 says the charge in this section applies for the purpose of preventing the avoiding of liability to income tax by individuals who are UK resident by means of relevant transfers. So if you can't if you aren't doing the transfer, you aren't described in 720 brackets one.
1: Yes, and that was that was what Lord Wilberforce said.
0: Well he was a great guy. Well thought through, Lord well, Wilberforce.
1: In much more erudite terms, Graham, I should add. <laughs>
0: um right okay so that's obviously a charge on the guide now so hold on a second so do they get charged to all of the income just to yeah. an element of the income so any transfer or whether does that if they've transferred all of the money to the company or is it just the money that arises from what they transfer let's say two people a, transfer a can... pound each do they all get charged to all of the income of the company
1: no ultimately there are provisions that stop um things being double taxed um but that is where it gets very complicated there's a lot of case law on this was it Pratt certainly the case called Fisher in recent years um and then there's a it wasn't Pratt there's a much more erudite case on that point um and when you look at something oh it was Pratt it was Pratt you you Um, should have more confidence in yourself I know I know it's just being so modest um (laughs) Where you have more than one transfer all, effectively the ultimate tiebreaker is the um, revenue can apportion tax as appears just and reasonable.
0: Oh, <laughs> to who?
1: <laughs> and you said it didn't look. You, you, we said it didn't look like a general anti-avoidance rule at all.
0: <laughs> who, who, who is the measure of just and reasonable? Is it uh... Uh, the
1: Revenue Officer doing it?
0: Oh, okay, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he won't just pile it all up with the person who's got the most money you can get his hands on. Anyway,
1: absolutely not, that would never happen.
0: Um they will of course take an entirely reasonable approach and we are just joking. Please do not um do not pick on us as a result of hearing this. Um uh,
1: yes, and we absolutely are just joking. Yeah,
0: no, of course they would. They would take a. They would not just go oh what's convenient. They would it, it would have to be reasonable, wouldn't it? Otherwise people like you would rip them apart in the courts.
1: I'm sure they'd take a, an approach that was just and reasonable because they want to do their job properly. I think the issue arises because I suspect there's a spectrum of what qualifies as just and reasonable and quite possibly revenue officers' views a of bit come at one end of that spectrum and taxpayers come people at the who, other
0: end. The people whose money it is <laughs> take another view. Right. OK. So that's um, individuals that that's Section 721, which is individuals that make the transfer. OK, let's do Section 727
1: we can do it very briefly so it, it, it's it, the wording is similar you've got this such an individual language again which is how we know yeah. it's um, it, it's a it's a transfer and not everybody and so this is a set of what this does this is um uh, this this it, this is a sort of a matching rule and it deals with it, a poor, it, it it has different rules for those who are domiciled and those who are not domiciled in the UK in the tax year in question, but effectively, so um, income is treated as a arising to these people if income has become income of a person abroad as a result of relevant transfer, associated operations, or irrelevant transfer and associated operations, and the capital receipt conditions are met in respect of the individual in the tax year, and that's section 729, and the individual is UK resident for the tax year, and so... Um, if you are domiciled in the UK, you know, you're a 15 out of 20 years deemed domiciliary or a, fi- or a formerly domiciled resident domiciliary, then you will pay income tax on the whole of the income of the person abroad. If you're not UK domiciled, then um, it's so much of the income as is not foreign source income and that's where we get into some very complicated and quite new rules which i think we maybe should step away from on this on this particular one we,
0: we can always revisit and do do a, a second part if, if we feel the urge um can you give me an example of how that's going to work because there are a lot of words in there that were technical like capital receipt conditions
1: i think if we look at the capital receipt condition that tells us how it works let's so do essentially- that then we have to have had our relevant transfer, our associated operation, or the combination of the two. Um, And then we have to have, we have to have met a capital receipt condition. Uh, So capital receipt conditions are met if in the relevant year the individual receives or is entitled to receive any capital sum, whether before or after the relevant transfer. I notice that because that's really important. So you can't, avoid this by putting a capital transfer before you have all of the other conditions met.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Or in any earlier tax year, the individual has received any capital sum whether before or after the relevant transfer and the payment of that sum is in any way connected with any relevant transaction. <laughs> connected in any way. They thought about it while they were doing the new, while they were, while they were receiving the capital. Um, yeah, so it's quite broad, but essentially if you receive capital or are entitled to receive capital, and it's connected with the avoid- with with the transfer of assets abroad, then you're caught effectively.
0: So it's to stop. Is this to stop you um, creating a trust, opening a bank account that stores income? separate from capital and then then taking capital back out and saying oh all i've done is take capital out it's my money back in and out but in the meantime stacking up lots of income in the other bank account and not paying tax on it
1: i mean yes that would be cool i think it's very broad though it's very broad
0: but that would certainly be be the kind of thing that um that people talk about isn't it segmenting bank accounts and
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so that's section 727, if you're comfortable. Is there any other sections you'd like to bring in before we talk about beneficiaries?
1: No, I'm happy to talk about beneficiaries.
0: And I think this is it, but it's important to understand that it's not just transferors that are caught by this regime. It's very broad. You can't just set things up, exclude yourself, and then there's a magic pile of money for your family.
1: Exactly, and so, so Section 731 is a charge on income which is treated as arising rising to um, a person, an individual who receives a benefit as a result of relevant transactions. Right. And relevant transactions are relevant transfers or associated operations.
0: Right, okay, so in our scenario, Uncle Billy, he's a lovely and generous man, has set up a... Um, a trust with £10 billion in it for all of the kids of his brothers and sisters. Poor Billy's died childless and he wants to look after everybody else. And he set that trust up in um, AN, low-tax jurisdiction. He's from the UK. Now, how does it work for, for the beneficiaries to pay tax? Because it, it, they're not doing any avoiding, right? So it can't be just, can it? That they get taxed like in, the, in exactly the same way as the transfer or would, because they've done no actual avoiding themselves, but they may benefit from a vehicle established to avoid.
1: Uh, look, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I think probably the approach to this was to look at it in the sense of trying to ensure that money that was being moved abroad was still being taxed. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Culp, looking at it from a culpability perspective is perhaps uniquely helpful but
0: yeah right okay thinking. then that's me told very politely i'm not being uniquely <laughs> helpful that's the nicest put down anybody has ever given me however it isn't um, just it isn't just that regardless of what their intentions were it wouldn't be right would it for them to be taxed in the same way that was just a way to be in to say what's different about <laughs> beneficiaries <and Pitcheries?"
1: laughs> So effect- effectively, what is different about this is it is a matching provision, and what I mean by a matching provision is that if the if the individual beneficiary say gets a benefit of a million pounds, they can only be charged on a maximum of a million pounds of income that has arisen to the trust, for example.
0: Right. Okay. So we we just look at um is there a million pounds worth of income in the trust and that will be then matched against the million pounds coming out and that beneficiary will be taxed as if it was income as if it was there yeah and if there's no income in the trust
1: it can't be taxed so effectively you have two requirements for there to be a tax charge you have to receive a benefit and there has to be income that has arisen to the trust that can be matched. So you have to. This is where you get this complex accounting treatment of having income pools.
0: Yeah. So if um, let's let's say our our settlor uncle Billy put 10 billion in was like Filippo uh, Noseda's. Very, very compliant, but very private taxpayer and 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 puts it in a trust with a letter of wishes saying under no circumstances make any income. And, and they just put it in a 0%. They, and basically, in, a, in my current account. <laughs> they just put it in my <laughs> current 10 account. 10
1: billion in your current yeah.
0: account. Which I think oh. would terrify my bank manager. But they put it in a current account with Nat West Gibraltar, which earns them 0%. And we, then, and then they... raise uh,
1: any red flags there. No, Ryan. no red
0: flags. But um, then they pay it out. There is no income. So there can't be any tax. There has to be income to match against the distribution.
1: Exactly. And so look, probably a more realistic example, rather than 10 billion in Graham's current account is, if you have a trust, the sole asset of which, say a non UK trust, the sole asset of which is a valuable property in which somebody lives, rent free, you've got an awful lot of problems, but transfer of assets abroad, ain't one, because there's no income yeah basically i've
0: got a lot of problems there please do not use that as a method to, to avoid the transfer of assets abroad regime unless you want to spend a lot of money on fixing it yeah yeah
1: I mean, yeah you've got an awful lot of other tax A-Z. problems you've
0: got, if it's in a company
1: yeah i've just just so many issues benefits um,
0: received by people yeah okay let's 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 walk away from that um <laughs> iht because it's residential property in the uk um so let's i think that's clear then isn't it a beneficiary can only be taxed if he is paid out of income and i'm assuming but i can't remember exactly off the top of my head but i bet it says this that income is deemed to be sent out first unless you can prove it isn't income
1: yeah it's more complicated than that um and so that you don't have to be paid yeah, I mean, yeah, broadly speaking
0: so could you could you keep clean capital in a separate bank account?
1: Um, well, that wouldn't help with transfer of assets abroad because you match to income. It doesn't actually have to be paid out of income,
0: oh right. okay. so you simply say you you don't treat it as if it's mixed funds. you treat it,
1: yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work in the same way as, say, um a, a resident non- domiciled situation.
0: Right. Okay. So we keep using this phrase, don't we? And I know I'm going to regret this. Um, We keep using using this phrase, uh, associated operations. What's that mean, Harriet?
1: Oh, everything. Associated operations change everything. So uh, James Kessler, QC, in his very useful and very lengthy book, on the taxation of non-UK resident and non-UK domiciliaries um, talks about this and what he says is it's in section 719 and he says this provides just about the widest definition the drafter could devise and so an associated operation in, in relation to a transfer of assets means an operation of any kind affected by any person in relation to any of the assets transferred, any assets directly or indirectly representing any of the assets transferred, the income arising from any asset within the previous paragraphs, or any assets directly or indirectly representing the accumulations of income arising from any assets in the first paragraph, so any of the assets transferred. So basically, if you do anything, if you, if you make do any form of operation of any kind by any person in relation to An asset transferred, anything directly or indirectly representing it, any income arising from either it or an asset directly or indirectly representing it, or um, any assets representing accumulations of income arising from the original asset, that is an associated operation.
0: It is. it does not matter in 7.19.2, it does not matter whether the operation is affected before or after or at the same time as the transfer. So you no. could have done it a long time ago, and it's still caught as um, an associated operation. And I think most importantly for for people who who um, who are thinking about this, it can be done by anybody. It doesn't need to be done by the transferor. That's right. Yeah, it
1: doesn't have to be done by the but transferor. If the transferor and-
0: gives money to his cousin and then he fiddles with it and changes it, it doesn't it doesn't in any way affect it and um that those who are not technical often ask the question what happens if
1: uh yes and so look again i'm 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 drawing from james's rather wonderful book here um and he Are you, he com- are you on commission
0: it? for this book you seem to i'm not popular. but
1: it's brilliant and i use it all the time and so i feel like i should plug it because it is fantastic it is very expensive but it's sort of it's i think it's it might be six volumes, now it's certainly five. It's huge and comprehensive. But anyway, what it says about transfer, about the meaning of association here is that on a simple reading of the definition, an operation can be associated with an earlier transfer, even if the two were not part of a single plan or arrangement and many years apart. And he gives the example of a transfer, A transfers an asset to B, in who is UK resident in 1970, B transfers the asset in the year 2020 to an offshore trust under which A may benefit. And on a simple uh, reading, B's disposition is an operation associated with A's transfer, even though they're not part of a single arrangement. A is unaware of B's disposition. B's disposition is itself a relevant transfer. One or both transfers is a at arm's length. And he says the same would apply if A's transfer was made in 1870 or 1670. Indeed, anyone who purchases or disposes of an estate in English land is only affecting the most recent operation of a series of associated operations, dispositions of land, which may perhaps be traced back to the Norman conquest, if not before. And only a lack of records prevents one tracing the sequence of associated operations to the dawn of civilization. He then goes on to say, and you'll be relieved to hear this. In fact, this simple reading cannot be right and a clean break test should be implied. And there he says A transfers to B plus B to C. Clean break test. So yeah,
0: but it's. I mean, that's that's eminently sensible approach. Is that backed by any case law, or is that is that? um... No,
1: that's that's that. No, nobody's had to address that, and I suspect everyone sort of shies away from trying to address it because nobody wants any of the available answers. Yes. Nothing works globally either for HMRC or for a taxpayer. So it's it's Mm. a it's a tough one.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that it does that cover associated operations? I mean it's just so wide. I mean you can it's very quick to deal with because it's everything.
1: Um yes, it is almost everything. Um there must be I think James says there must be something more than historical association. Uh Parliament has left that to the courts and the courts haven't dealt with it yet um james's clean break test is um says it, a is a settler of b's trust did a provide the property indirectly if not the operations are not associated i think that's in some ways tautological but it's about as close as we're going to get um there's some support for that in corbett's executors executrices v um i'll leave that to to um to people to look up It's Corbett's Executrices of the ILC. Look, it's been around for, what, 80, 90 years, and we've not somewhere between... Just about 80 years. Yeah, it's been around for about 80 years, and um, we are yet to find whether or not um, we... yet, Yet to address this question. So maybe the courts will address this at some point.
0: Okay, so, Harriet... I think that we have arrived at, we've detailed the three charges. Yep. We have. And we've explained that there's a difference between those that can receive benefit and those that do transfers. And we've talked about what associated operations are. But because of two things, one is I'm late for a meeting. And the second is... Nobody really wants to sit through any more of, of the uh, the transfer of assets abroad regime. We are going to come back and we are going to do a shorter, fingers crossed, <laughs> shorter episode on the defences against uh, charges under the transfer of assets abroad regime. And Harriet will very kindly explain to us why the capital gains variant is not equivalent as well in... Um, in, I, I, in part two,
1: and would prefer not to call it a variant.
0: <laughs> All right, okay. The capital gains treatment, which occupies a similar place in the market.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. So we will be we will be back with defenses in particular the motive defense which is really important so even though nobody wants to listen to more on the transfer of assets abroad regime it's probably important that you do come back for the motive defense otherwise you've only heard the bad bit
0: yeah um or well maybe the rest of it's bad if you haven't got it <laughs> if you haven't got the motive defense but <laughs> but at least there is some hope that um that 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 if if you do these things for the right reasons then uh then the charge may not apply. Um, so, Harriet, thank you very much for your time. We are going to come back and hopefully we might even round this off tomorrow and get it up on consecutive days. How exciting would that be? It would be just like um, like our favourite podcast when they run into two different parts. So let's remember that this is just a conversation between two people who, who are talking about tax and it's not advice. Uh, we really hope that it made sense and we'll see you soon.